Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is your host, Bud Elliott, along with my co-host, uh, Morgan Moriarty. Morgan, what's going on? Doing well. How about you? Ah, doing real well. Doing real well. Finally uh, get some cool weather down here, so that's that'll work. Yeah, it was um, it was like 46 in Atlanta this morning when I woke up, so that was a change. We, we didn't pull the 46, but we did have like a, I don't know, 60. I was dropping something off at my parents' place earlier this morning, running some errands, and I was wearing some shorts. I was like, man, I took my pants today. This, this <laughs> Might not be like... shorts weather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, you know what? As the weather gets cooler, though, the the commitment market is starting to heat up a little bit. We're, we're having some kids actually commit, which is nice because we had several weeks there where nobody did anything. And yeah, I think like, this is like our busiest week as far as like guys who committed. Yeah, I mean, it. it so I guess we'll we'll start. Uh, you know, in your neck of the woods, there, uh, Richard Goyage ends up committing to Florida, uh, four star offensive lineman out of uh, Tampa and. Morgan, I got to tell you, Florida fans should be pretty excited. I know it's hard to get excited about offensive linemen because they don't touch the ball and they don't score touchdowns and all that stuff. They just kind of make it all happen. Uh, but I mean, he's like 6'5", 270, 275, and, and very athletic. And, I, and if he can keep that athleticism as he adds weight, I think Florida fans are going to be really happy with him. Yeah, I think it's a good pickup. I feel like in general, I mean, college football fans like – downgrade the importance of offensive line anyways. Um, but that's certainly big for Florida. I feel like he could probably take a red shirt and earn a, or gain a little bit more weight before he sees the field. But Oh, yeah. You don't want to throw him in there at, at that size unless he just has a, a huge offseason. Um, th- that's an area, though, Florida's coaching change to, to swap offensive, offensive line coaches. I, I, I don't know if the coaching's better. Uh, but I, I think the the recruiting of offensive linemen is is certainly better after that swap. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, uh, then Georgia, which is sort of the beast of the East right now, picks up Adam Anderson, uh, a uh, a player who was formerly committed to them, then he switched to LSU, switched back to uh, Georgia, one of the best outside linebackers in the country, six three and a half, two fifteen, really explosive player, big hitter, and a guy that. I mean, that's kind of what Georgia has on the outside. They've, they've got freaks who are you know, shouldn't be that fast for that size, and and they and Anderson's a, he fits the bill. Kirby uh, Kirby's understands what he wants to do on defense, and is going out and getting the players who allow him to do that. Yeah, Kirby Smart gets yet another Georgia native. It's he's basically just cleaning up the entire state, pretty much. And we've talked about how you can't fence Georgia like completely because. Of geographically, it, it, if you're in a war, it's like the worst possible thing to defend because you can be surrounded on all sides. I mean, you have right. to get south of you, what, Florida, Florida State, and to the west. I mean, there are certain recruits who actually think Georgia is in, or Auburn is in Georgia, right? There's a famous <laughs> story of Auburn telling the kid, oh, don't worry, George, Auburn is in state uh, of Georgia. And, um, you know, that that whole deal. And, and you got um, – Alabama over there to the north, you have what Tennessee and uh, and to the east. Look, Clemson's no joke, and South Carolina will will get a kid or two that that, that Georgia has offered. So it's all very possible um, that that it's you're never going to completely fence it in. But I think he's doing a pretty good job of keeping the majority of kids that he wants home. Yeah, definitely. Um, interesting to see like how many of those guys stay on. I 
I don't think there'll be much late flipping, but there could be, you know, one or two. But for now, I mean, he's doing great in state. And that's something that I think Georgia fans would have liked to see Mark Rick do a little bit better. That's one of the primary reasons I think he was gone. Mm-hmm. Because you every year, Georgia fans saw Atlanta, or Alabama marching to Atlanta in the SC title game and win that, that title game with a lot of good players from the state of Georgia. Right. And it wasn't that Georgia didn't get any of them. They just didn't get enough of them. And they weren't really a factor in, in for some of the better ones. And, and that, I think Kirby has done a much better job on that. Who we got next? I believe uh, Michigan getting Mustafa Muhammad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time tight end out of uh, – um, where's Mustafa from? I, I think he's from Texas. Um, yeah. And, uh, look, he's a guy, I mean, 6'4 and a half, 215, 220. We actually got to see him when we were at Future 50 uh, down in Orlando uh, for the uh, the underclassmen event there. And you know, got to meet and chat with him. Really bright kid. Uh, he he understood what he wanted. He, you know, he's like, I, I want to go in an offense that that runs a pro style offense that's going to use my talents that can you know split me out wide and play with my hand in the dirt. I think I have the size to do that. I think they have the versatility to do that. And if you want to run a pro style offense, there's not a whole lot of high schools running a whole lot of pro style stuff. So it can be difficult to get the the pro style tight ends and stuff for that. And Muhammad fits the bill. So that, that's that's a really nice pickup. For Michigan, a class that has, uh, you know, I, I think it stalled a little bit after a, a really hot summer. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about Jim Harbaugh and his future at Michigan. But, I mean, I don't think he's really going anywhere personally. So, um, interesting to see where that class ends up, especially depending on how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I I mean, we'll see that the, the shine on, on Michigan is a little bit off, but but there it's still Jim Harbaugh. It's still an excellent recruiting staff. Right. It, it, it's hard for me to see them taking a big-time drop. Um, Stanford picked up Thomas Booker, and that that is such a great fit. Thomas Booker, a, a four-star defensive end prospect. I got to tell you, it's, it's so hard to find. And they play that three-down alignment, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to find kids who have the length uh, and the size and athleticism to be able to play that five technique, right? A lot of times those guys who have the length and the size maybe have to go in, inside in the more traditional defense and play D-tackle, and some guys are just, you know, they, they don't, they're don't a little too light in the seat to do it. Uh, but he, he has the right combination of, of skills and size to really thrive in that Stanford defense, and that's, that's one I know that staff was really excited to get. Yeah, and we've talked about in the past some of the – like higher academic schools, Notre Dame specifically, Stanford obviously falls in that. But being able to recruit guys who not only fit your system but um, can, you know, obviously make the cut academically is huge. Oh, it's really tough. I mean, that, that's sometimes when, when, like Stanford, sometimes their depth is hurt because it, it's right. hard for them to get enough. Um, but when a Stanford player has an injury, sometimes it really hurts Stanford more than some other programs. Uh, just because of the number of guys they can find. Uh, oh, and West Virginia got Blaine Scott, who I think is one of the, the better offensive guard prospects in the country, real nasty player. Um, that's important for them. It, it's, you know, he's a, he's a nearby kid, uh, not from West Virginia, but from a neighboring state. And that, that's that's a good get for the Mountaineers there, too. So, uh, so good on them. 
Yeah, and West Virginia gets Oklahoma State this week, which we'll talk about in a little bit. They do. Yeah, they do. After uh, barely surviving against Baylor down the end. That was uh, that was wild. Uh, this morning I wrote about uh, Nebraska and Tennessee, and neither of these jobs are open, but uh, there seems like a good chance that both will open. Um, and I said, okay, what – I proposed this in, in our, our, our Sunday night meeting for SB Nation staff. I said, hey, will, will somebody write that Tennessee's a better job than Nebraska against me? And and there were no takers. And I was like, oh, man, because I really wanted to do like a debate style thing. And then I said, what? Why don't I just debate myself? I can do this. And, uh, you know, looking at like, which is the better job? You know, if you were a coach and – uh, let's say you weren't from Nebraska or Tennessee, so you don't have any like preconceived you know, biases there. What do you take? Do you want to take Nebraska? Or do you want to take Tennessee? And and so I looked at it, and, and there's a lot of factors, and you can read this on SBAation.com. It was actually a little closer than I thought it would be, and, and ultimately I, I did end up settling on Nebraska um, because I felt like, look, every program has some unreal, unreasonable expectations, but not all programs – are equally unreasonable. And I think Nebraska's expectations are a little bit more reasonable to meet. Yeah, absolutely. And there's obviously, you know, a lot of different factors that you've looked at from just winnability standpoint, winning and then winning your conference division, whatnot. Um, and also with respect to recruiting, I mean, Tennessee and Nebraska are totally different schools with that respect. Um, but I, you know, I do think, and obviously, to understand the whole argument, it'd be hard to sum it up in like a podcast form. But um, I think overall, it's it's a really fair take. It is, you know, really really close because there you can argue, you know, that it's easier to win the SEC East than what division Nebraska's in. So, um, but I, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, my my thought is like, all right. Ultimately, you can get better players at Tennessee. But you also have to play against a lot tougher competition right. than normally. Like, you have to play Florida, Georgia, and Alabama every year. Plus, usually one of, uh, or you know, about every year you're going to play one of LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M. That's really tough. I mean, that, that's and and then if you win the East, you have to go probably play Alabama again. Uh, yeah. And good luck with that. At, at Nebraska, really what they're asking you to do is dominate most of the of the Big Ten West, which doesn't seem that hard, mm-hmm. be about even with Wisconsin, I think, in most years, and then very occasionally when you get to the, the title game there, pull off an upset against whoever the beast from the East is. I, to me, that's more doable. Like I, I can see you getting a second contract at Nebraska easier than I can at Tennessee because at Tennessee you're daily compared – to Georgia and Florida and Alabama, especially if Kirby Smart has Georgia humming, um, that's that's not going to be easy for for Tennessee, and, and that actually dovetails into something you wrote about this week with Florida Georgia. Yes, great segue. Um, so, do we want to start with Jim McElwain or or Georgia the last three years? What do we want to start with? There's a lot. I mean, this game. It's it's weird because I don't remember the last time that Florida was or that that Georgia was favored by this much. Uh, but let's okay. So 
Maybe we'll just go in order of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. What, what happened first, McIlwain talking or, or the players talking? Yeah, so Monday, Jim McIlwain goes like before the players on for press availability, and he mentioned like totally unprompted that he and his family, some of the coaches and players have received death threats. And when he was asked to expand on that, he like totally didn't. And then um, Florida releases a statement like hours later saying, we talked to Jim McElwain about this and um, you know, we, we don't really have any additional details kind of implying that, you know, they may not really believe that they actually happened. Um, Jim McElwain actually talked today on Wednesday um, and expanded upon it, just kind of danced around it and said um, he wouldn't release any additional details unless the situation became unmanageable, which just sounds really weird and just adds to how odd him throwing this out there is, but um, definitely a a weird situation um, and something that I obviously didn't expect to come out from Florida this week. Yeah, that is really odd. Um, I mean, there's so many questions there. Did did they really happen? Is Jim McElwain telling the truth? Uh, right. If if they did, like if I got an actual death threat, not just hey, if I see you in the parking lot, I'll, I'll beat you up or something like that. If I got an actual death threat, I'd probably remember it. Yeah. And, and also with like we don't know what medium they were like communicated through. Like, were they mailed to his house, like Kevin Sumlin's? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's also the question that, as a university employee, if there are death threats made against your players who are students, do you have a duty to report that? Yeah, I think, and, and we've discussed this a little bit this week, there's also, like, some Title IX implications with all that. But the problem is, I mean, no one really knows, like, how credible what he's saying is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Florida definitely threw him under the bus. I, I, I don't know if these happened or not. Uh, I don't know if he maybe was just feeling the stress and wanted to mm-hmm. get Gators fans off his back a little bit, and so he exaggerated, or if these actually happened and Jim McElwain just has a very high risk tolerance. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the idea that the unmanageable part there, Morgan, it is it unmanageable – like according to whose standard, Jim McElwain's? Because if if I'm one of the people getting a death threat against me who's not McElwain, I may not be so comfortable that Jim McElwain is the guy assessing the threat level. Yeah, I don't know, and I feel like like stuff is so thrown around on Twitter these days that like something like that, you know, I could see like players. That's obviously horrible, but you know, I could see like things on Twitter being seen by coaches and whatnot. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a really weird situation. And obviously, um, we'll probably be talked about at least on the broadcast of Saturday's game. Yeah. And this is a guy who has a little bit of a history of exaggeration you know, at SC media days. Remember he said that, uh, the idea that the, the, uh, shark humping photo, uh, was, was an attack on his family. Right. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I don't know if that really is, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be brought up. And I got to tell you, if I'm an opposing coach, I'm going to use this against Florida in recruiting. I'm going to say, hey, either that coach is a liar or he didn't care enough about his players to report an actual death threat. 
Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. So that because I mean, you can make the argument for both sides. And then other people are talking too this week. It seems like some who started this Florida players. So yeah, Florida players who, um, which thank God I'm not on the beat anymore. The Florida beat and had to deal with all this right after Jim McElwain. They have player availability. Um, Josh Hammond said was asked about Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. Um, and he basically just said, oh, yeah, like anyone can throw a slant. Like people think he's really good, but, um, you know, he he just throws short passes all the time. Um, and then let me find the other. Um, another Florida player said um, something about like Florida not losing to Georgia in the last three years um, and just that you know, they might be a really high ranked team, but at the end of the day, they're Georgia and we're Florida. Um, and some Georgia players have responded, not really like, you know, in a chippy sort of way, but Georgia players just kind of played that off a little bit. But I, I, I think Saturday is going to be interesting for a number of reasons, both on the field and off. Yeah, that's, uh, that's surprising. Also from is, uh, Tied for 18th in the nation in passes of 40 or more yards. So, like, Gardner might not even be right. Right. I mean, I'm not saying he's wrong, but, like, he has thrown seven passes of 40-plus. Yeah, Chauncey Gardner, Josh Hammond was the one who said um, about the last three years. Ah, I got you. Okay. And then and then Gardner talked about the, the short passes or the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the slants. Now, my immediate response to this, and I think Spencer Hall's as well, and I think yours was, except for like every quarterback that's played for Florida, you know, uh, since <laughs> since Tebow. Like, yeah, anybody can do it, except. But then we had some UGA players barking back. Yeah, um, Lamont Gilliard said he doesn't really care about what they had to say when he was asked. Um, J.R. Reed said basically that's Florida. Um, you know, that you would expect that from a team like that. And it's just trash talk. So, you know, I think the Georgia players are confident and they have a right to be. I mean, look at what they've done against Tennessee and Florida and Vanderbilt, two teams that Florida has played who Florida did not blow out. Um, Georgia just firing on all cylinders. Personally, I, and this is like me as like a growing up a Florida fan and a Florida grad. I mean, I, I think Georgia's going to win. Um, Obviously, I've said that before in the past. The last three years, Florida's won, especially in 2014. Georgia came in ranked 11th in the country, obviously not as high as number three. Um, but Florida ended up winning 37 to 20, and they completed three passes. Oh, my gosh. Rushed for, it was like 416 yards, and it was like the most rushing yardage given up in Georgia history. So this game is like really like it's weird. And I get why some Florida fans are confident just given that fact, why Georgia fans are kind of weary. But I don't I don't see it. But that's just me being a pessimistic Florida grad. (laughs) There's a way if you're Florida and I don't think McElwain will do this, but if you really feel like you're outgunned, there's a way you can play just to keep the game close. You know, Mm -hmm. like like you can play not necessarily to win, but rather to not get blown out. Right. And, you know, that, I think, from a point spread perspective, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit, could be interesting. I also think that there are some 
there's the potential if Florida gets blown out. It, there are some ADs in the SEC East, and maybe at Auburn too, since they have to play them every year, who are going to take a real hard, long look at their coach, I think. right? Like If you're Tennessee and you're on the fence about Butch Jones, which I don't really see how you could be at this point, but all right. And you see your one of your main division rivals playing at that level, like looking like, hey, I'm, they're building the Death Star type thing. Yeah. And you look at their recruiting class last year and this year and the trajectory of that program, I mean, that's that's fairly important. And I think the same thing probably could be said for, for Florida. Uh, you know, you're going to look at kind of like how Tennessee had a chance to evaluate themselves against the dogs, what, three weeks right. ago. If you're Florida and you see what McElwain's done in year three, and this is smart in year two, and you're Scott Strickland, you say, okay, <laughs> uh, Florida was not the worst program when, when Smart took over. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And, you know, I think even depending on how this season goes, even if Florida, like, doesn't make a bowl, McElwain, in my eyes, is safe for at least another season. Maybe even another one after that. You know, the the thing is, if they do want to get rid of him, the way to do it is to figure out some sort of contractual duty, if, if there is one, and say he violated it by not reporting the death threats. Right. Because then you could pay him with no buyout. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... And that it, buyout is 12, around the 12 million mark. So not as big as, you know, pretty big, but not as big as like Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fishers. Right. I wonder what the biggest buyout ever actually paid in college ball history is. It's got to be Charlie Weiss, right? I think you're right. The problem is Notre Dame's not not foible because they're uh, that's right. Uh, they're they're private. I, I wonder if anybody's ever actually paid a double digit buyout that we could actually like know. Yeah, about. and I think Weiss's was like spread out over different years because yes, he was still being paid by Notre Dame when he was at Kansas and when <laughs> yes. he was at Florida. I think. The, the Legend. Whole, the whole sitting on the cooler offensive coordinator <laughs> thing. That was um, almost said something there I shouldn't have said. So, uh, what you call it? I think that's probably it on Florida, Georgia. Um, but I, I also, man, that's some weak, weak trash talk from Georgia. Like, I, I, I expect Florida's trash talk was pretty decent there. Georgia's trash talk, like, we don't really care. Come on, man. Give me, give us something interesting. It, it's a rivalry. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. The, the story's yeah, in that place. Yeah, but couldn't you see Kirby Smart saying, don't say anything stupid? Oh, of course he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's probably sitting right there in all the interviews. Right. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned buyouts. What the USA Today today came out with their list of buyouts. Were there any buyouts in here that really surprised you or that you think listeners might be really surprised by? Just because of how high it is, um, Dabo Sweeney's at forty million is like absurd, but I mean it makes sense, obviously. Um, and then for Florida State fans, which I don't think they would like, um, thirty-nine million for Jimbo. I wrote about buyouts a couple weeks ago and how like these are just the ads just get fleeced repeatedly on these because mm-hmm. they, they negotiate like one of these contracts maybe like in the history of them being an AD, right? Like if you're at a place to negotiate a big football deal, you're probably not negotiating a huge basketball deal. And there's no other sports where there's like a legitimate buyout clause in the contract. But agents negotiate these things all the time. So they're pros at it. And ADs just get taken advantage of. 
really badly here. Like, there's no way state universities like Clemson and Florida State should be having buyouts of 39 or $40 million. That, that's just silliness. I mean, why does Lovey Smith, did you see this? Lovey Smith buyout of $15 million? Ooh, I did Illinois? not see that. Like, are they worried that, like, like the NFL is going to come calling again? I, I think that might 16. be, like, 5. part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole lot of money. Uh, Bill Snyder's buyout is, uh, looks like, $2 million. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, Chris Peterson's is 30, which is pretty high. And I don't think Chris Peterson would go anywhere. I, I just right. I don't feel like these things are all that necessary. And in most cases, I don't think the coach is going to be like, I'm actually not going to sign the contract unless I get a, a buyout yeah. of $40 million. Like, do you think Butch Jones had that kind of leverage against Tennessee when he signed? Or I mean, maybe I know Tennessee bungled that situation and then they made it real obvious he was like their fourth choice and they had no other options. But, I mean, like the LSU thing, Ed Orgeron, uh, $8.8 million after this season? Come on. Um, yeah, I hmm. I don't know. I'm glad I'm not an AD <laughs> in this yeah, day and age. Yeah, that would be age. tough. Uh, I, I, you know, the other thing I was thinking about, like, which ones are kind of, like, very, very high but don't match up with how much the coach makes, right? Like, Bronco Mendenhall only makes 3.4, which, mm-hmm. hey, I'd, I'd like to make 3.4. Um, but his buyout's 17. Yeah, Jeff Brom, too. 3.3 salary, 15.8. Dang. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. Um, what is Taggart? Taggart's eight. Okay. Now, these are, to the best of our knowledge, just what the school would have to pay to fire them, not like if the coach wants to leave. Because I know for right. a fact Jimbo's is not 39 if he wants to leave. He only owes the school the amount of uh, the amount remaining on his assistance contracts who he decides not to take with him. Yeah, I'm looking to see if there's any more. Kevin Sumlin, who we've talked about, ten point four million. That's that's a whole lot. Uh, did they did they get Bielema right? The member because because got we, we know it got reduced to five. Yes, they did. His is five point eight. Man, there's still a lot of coaches who make uh, who make less than a million dollars. One that was also interesting, um, Todd Grams. What's who his? We've talked about is on on the hot seat, potentially. Maybe not so much anymore. His is 12.2. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that seat just got a lot cooler. And <laughs> he's only making right. 3.2 million. Yeah. Uh, wow. The lowest buyout among people who reported is... Doug Martin, New Mexico State. $30,000. Oh, man. <laughs> Why do they Poor even Doug report Martin. that? That's that's so bad. Like, you got to make it at least, like, a year <laughs> or, or something of, of the contract. Joey Jones at, at South Alabama. All right, so most of these are, like, you know, group of five schools who don't make very much money. What's the lowest buyout? Huh. Oh, I, I guess Matt Luke, but he's an interim type one-year type coach for Sutter and Miss. Barry Odom's buyout is only one point four million. That is yeah, very interesting. If, if they want to go ahead and make a move on him, that'd be pretty cheap to do so. Dave uh, Dave Doran is one point seven. I wonder if that if that's 
didn't they just re renegotiate with him during season? I'm not sure because USA just that, released this today, so yeah, I don't know. I'm wondering if they have the new, like if. Well, the the school buyouts are as of um, December of this year, so that new figure might go into effect next season. Uh, you're probably right about that. Or they might not have the uh, the document yet. Some of these schools take forever to get you documents. Uh, yeah. You do the uh, the information acts, as, as I know you and Richard have done. Um, huh. Wait, is Georgia Tech public? Yes. Huh. I didn't realize it was a public school. I, I, th I thought, for some reason, I thought Georgia Tech was private. That's kind of why I was surprised to see them on this list. Virginia. Mark Stoops buyout at 14.7. That's a little bit high. But God. I don't think he's going anywhere. Scott what? Frost is only 4.1, too. Uh, UCF, you should have done the Colorado State plan and, and put <laughs> yeah. it at like $10 million. Although that's, a, that's one time when a coach's buyout can actually like be discouraging, right? Like if like, like the coach is like, I'm not going to sign with a buyout that long because you're not, you're not right. going to put the golden handcuffs on me. Yeah. Uh, like that. Okay, well, it was actually kind of fun. Um, Morgan, there's one place this weekend where there's going to be quite a lot of recruiting talent, and that's Columbus, which I feel like everybody will be watching this game come 3.30 on Saturday. Jackson Carmen, offensive tackle, receiver Cameron Babb, who I, I think is an awesome player. Um, Tyreek Johnson, the DB out of Jacksonville. Uh, Tyreek Smith, um, Jamari Sellier, offensive lineman. Uh, and then two commits and seven banks and Brian Sneed. That that's a whole lot of talent right there for the Buckeyes, who currently, I believe, have the number one recruiting class in the country. So it, it doesn't look like Urban Meyer's Buckeyes are, are on pace to slow down anytime soon, given the kind of talent they're bringing in. Yeah, it helps that um, the Buckeyes are wearing. I like the uniforms. They're wearing like these gray alternate unis with like the. The only thing that's weird is like the helmets are black. So they made the Buckeye stickers like red, like they made the actual Buckeye design red. So it looks kind of weird. That's interesting. I, you know, the only thing I think about this is I don't really like alternate uniforms in big games, right? Yeah. Because like if I, if if we're gonna have like a like a seminal moment where say man, remember that guy? You know, Bench Young takes the corner against USC. Don't you want that highlight to live like for all time with? Like your traditional uniforms, so people are like, yeah. I, I remember that. And that's something you can use on a recruiting tape. It's instantly identifiable as opposed to like some alternate uniforms. Like, knock yourself out. It, sometimes it's a way to motivate players for some of these lesser games. Like, do it when you're playing, I don't know, Indiana or Illinois. Or something. But like when, when Ohio State plays Michigan State or, or Michigan or Penn State, just dance with what brung you. I, I, I would. I would stay with, with traditional, but I do think they look pretty sweet. I'm not gonna not gonna deny that. I just I'm yeah, and I think it, it just you know just adds more hype to a big game, and I think it's big for recruiting too. We oh, saw with Florida with even though they were god awful, the Florida uniforms from a couple weeks ago. Um, apparently, recruits like love them. So even though Florida lost, <laughs> that was. I, if they had made those a little bit, just a slightly bit more like forest greeny. You know, I know yeah. Gators are not green. You don't need to email. We're both from Florida. <laughs> uh, but if they made them just a little bit more green, just to kind of like a nod to the fact that Florida's mascot's green, uh, they would have probably looked 
pretty sweet. I, I don't think they were that far off from looking good. Um, but recruits did did seem to like him. That was that was definitely true. Uh, Morgan, you have you have an item here. All the big games are happening at three thirty. Is that what what do we have going on at three thirty? Basically, like every ranked game, pretty much is happening at three thirty. And I'll just go ahead and run through them. So, Florida, Georgia, CBS, obviously, um, that's been the CBS three thirty game this week for a number of years. Penn State, Ohio State, TCU, Iowa State at 3.30, NC State, Notre Dame. And there's one other one I'm missing. Georgia, Florida? Well, I said that. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. And technically, UCLA, Washington. But, I mean, it's a little ridiculous. That's a I mean, hey, wait a second. UCLA, Washington. Chris Peterson's getting a non-Nike. Yeah. Hey, look at that. No no complaints there. Although <laughs> Three weeks after the whole ESPN spat. And it's on, wow, it's on uh, ABC and ESPN too. So there's a chance that, I mean, there's almost no chance people are going to watch that because there's so many better games. But in theory. Yeah, well, and that, that TCU-Iowa State game is ABC as well. Or it's ABC-ESPN. So I think depending on where you are, you'll either get that game on ABC. Gotcha. I'm just loading up this thing here. All right, so what would you have let, – let's say you have a two TVs and a iPad Pro. What goes on the main TV and what goes on the TV number two and then what goes on the one you kind of have on, on the side, maybe on the uh, on, on like the side table? I would have to have Florida Georgia on the main TV. On my side TV, I'd probably put on Penn State, Ohio State, and then – Hmm. On my extra one, might have to go NC State Notre Dame, but I feel like that could be over quickly, and I could switch to TCU Iowa State. Yeah, I think I agree. One of those is going to be a blowout. Um, I the, the the key here is what are you, what are you watching early? Because there's you know there's a good chance with with six ranked games at three thirty that. You know, a couple of them are going to get out of hand pretty quick, and then you can finally focus on down to three. Uh, I, I think Michigan State Northwestern will be just boring, so I'm not going mm-hmm. to watch that unless it's close and late. Uh, UCLA at Washington, I, I unless Washington is like broken somehow, I, I think that they're going to handle UCLA. Uh, for me, I think I would go Penn State Ohio State on the main TV, um, and then look, I like Iowa State, but I don't know about them. I might go. Florida, Georgia on on the second, and Notre Dame, NC State on the third, or I might swap those. I think entertainment value, Penn State, Ohio State's number one for me. I I, I don't think Florida, Georgia is going to be all that exciting, but it might be close. And, and there's no, that's fair. And I mean, I'm just you know. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I I'm going to watch Florida State, Boston College on Friday. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that'll be so. Uh, um, Bill Connolly and I who recorded PAPN this week. Um, talked about that game a little bit. Should Florida State fans be like nervous? Very, because that Boston College team hung forty-five on Louisville and won. Okay, so this is the perfect transition to our our lines talk, right? Uh, Florida State is only favored by three at Boston College, which is you know is that the of... lowest that line's ever been. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. No, there was one time other, and this is uh. What year was this? I'm trying to think. 
was the Matty Ice year 2007 or 2009? I think it was 09. Um, but it might have been 07. Let me look it up real quick. I think it was. I think it was 07 actually. Yeah, his senior year was 07. Okay, so 07, Florida State goes in there. They're a pretty big underdog. I think it's a – I don't know if it's a Thursday night game or not. Uh, and then Matty Ice ends up throwing, I think, two pick sixes to Derek Nicholson and Geno Hayes, and they lost. Florida State ended up winning 27-7. to But Boston College was number two in the country, and Florida State was unranked. Hmm. Okay. The only reason I remember that is, is I was like, okay, well, we – they're terrible, and uh, you know they had just lost at home to Miami, and uh, they kind of struggled with Duke. And I was like, I'm not going to watch this. And then all of a sudden, you turn it on. It's like, wow, okay, the defense is scoring, so Jeff Bowden's offense doesn't have to do anything. This is convenient. Yeah, and I uh, feel like that being a Friday night game too just kind of adds to like the uniqueness of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, the thing is, you're coming off a, a crushing loss to Louisville, where, quite frankly, you were kind of lucky to be close in that game. Like, if you look at Bill Connolly's numbers, right, it says they should have beaten Miami and they should have beaten NC State. I mean, they had a 77% win probability against Miami and somehow lost it. But against Louisville, they only had a 12% win probability. So this is what I was trying to tell some of my readers this week at Tomahawk. Like, hey, look, it it's not really about a missed field goal or about a fumble. Like, they, they were right. really lucky not to be blown out. Like, they, they were lucky in that game. Louisville was unlucky. Louisville's unlucky, unlucky not to blow them out. And now you got Jimbo Fisher talking a lot about, like, individual goals and stuff. And my mm-hmm. thought is, okay, but w- what's the individual goal in taking on a block, right? Right. Like Boston College is going to make you play tough and physical for 60 minutes. And if you're a team that is, is of the mind to quit, and I'm a little surprised Florida State is not yet, uh, judging I by, guess we'll see on Friday. Yeah. Like, they're going to have to bring your lunch pail, and we'll see what what happens there. Um, but that was – that'll be interesting. Uh, other lines here. I'm going to read these off, and then we, we, can, we can pick out however many you want to discuss. Oklahoma State laying seven and a half in Morgantown. Texas laying seven and a half at Baylor. NC State uh, is catching seven and a half on the road at Notre Dame. Michigan State, trap alert, is laying two at Northwestern. <laughs> Georgia, 13 and a half against Florida. Uh, TCU laying six and a half on the road at Iowa State. Uh, Ohio State laying six to Penn State. Uh, Mississippi State is a pick 'em at Texas A&M. Huh. That's, that's interesting. Nebraska is an underdog of five and a half points at Purdue. Coming off, I think a bye week for Nebraska, right? That's and Purdue just lost to to, to Rutgers, uh, and yet they're still favored over Nebraska. Georgia Tech is going to Clemson, and Clemson is laying fourteen points. USC is given three on the road at Arizona State, and Washington State is laying three at Arizona. So, Morgan, what what catches your eye there? Mm, a lot. Um, I can see West Virginia covering seven and a half. But I could be wrong about that because I could also see that game like Oklahoma State pulling away and winning by two scores. Um, I'll take Texas seven and a half at Baylor. The NC State seven and a half, well, Notre Dame seven and a half against NC State um, looks really interesting. Obviously, NC State won that game last year, 
that was like the start of Notre Dame's like four and eight season coming to fruition. Um, but Notre Dame looked so good last week. They really did. So I got to go Notre Dame. Obviously, revenge is a factor there. I'll take Michigan State in the points. I will sadly take Florida covering 13 and a half because, but not Georgia's going to win. Right. You just think it's inflated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TCU, Iowa State. I'll take TCU easily covering the points. Mm, I think Penn State covers that. Because I think a lot of people are maybe still underestimating Penn State at this point. Um, And then I'll take USC in the points, Washington in the points. Okay. See, I was thinking about this. Notre Dame was favored over over USC by three and a half. And I I was all over Notre Dame because – like if you look at the injury report, Notre Dame was just so beat up up front, and Ohio State's or Notre Dame's offensive line is very good. And like then USC's other defensive tackle got in a car crash and was in a concussion protocol. I was like, why is this thing three and a half? Like, like Notre Dame's probably the better team on a neutral field, and they're in South Bend, which is worth three and a half anyway um, on the Vegas line, and that was surprising to me, but. I got to tell, like, seeing these these teams in person, and I've seen so far, uh, just judging based on how they've played Florida State, I've seen Alabama, I've seen NC State, I've seen Miami. I think, and, and I saw Louisville on TV and I talked to people who were there, I think NC State's the second-best team FSU's played. I think they're better than Miami, I think they're better than Louisville. Um, they also smashed Louisville, like, on, on, on national TV. And they have the personnel up front, I think, to give Notre Dame some problems. I I might actually take the seven and a half. I really wish I, I could have grabbed ten on this. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. You know, just hoping that the public would would bet Notre Dame up after that huge win over USC. But I, I'm tempted to take NC State in their defense, and they don't really turn the ball over at all. Um, they do know that, that there's an interesting matchup here in NC State offensive coordinator Elijah Drinkwitz. Uh, versus Notre Dame DC Mike Elko, who was at Wake Forest last year, and so they, they right. play annually as division rivals. Um, I, I'm tempted to take NC State. Never make to, me want to change my pick. <laughs> well, hey, hey, you, you didn't hit you didn't hit send yet. I mean, we're we're just chatting. Uh, I'm going to take Ohio State just because I feel like I'm getting Urban Meyer off a of bye, and I like. Michigan's defense, but at the same time, I don't. I don't think Ohio State will be as stubborn. I know Penn State told Stephen Godfrey in his article that they're saving some stuff, but at the same time, I, there's only so much you can save. And right. I, th- I think Ohio State's seen it. They're they're off a of bye. They've been playing much better. Um, I, I I told myself if I can get Ohio State under a touchdown here, I'm I'm going to take them, and it's it's six. I'm going to do it. I really wish it was like three or something. That would be much nicer. And I'm trying to think what else here. I don't know about Clemson's offense right now. I mean, without – is Kelly Bryant going to play? Is he going to be healthy if he doesn't? I mean, how, how good do they look? There's some look-ahead spots too this week, Morgan. This is something to consider here. Check this out. You know TCU plays next week? Who? They host Texas. Mm. 
I mean, they're, they're, to me, like the look ahead spots, always something to consider because these are college kids and they don't necessarily come to work each week like like professionals. Right. You know, Oklahoma State next week plays Oklahoma. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I don't know if West Virginia is is too good to overlook. You know, uh, yeah, but, they've been kind of inconsistent. You, you know, what I'm saying like if you're if they, if they were playing, if Oklahoma State was playing like Kansas this weekend, I would I would take Kansas and the points because I figure Oklahoma State would be looking ahead to Oklahoma. But I, I, West Virginia might be so good that that they have the attention of, of the Cowboys there. Um, trying to think what else here. And then I think at some point Baylor's going to get somebody. Like they came very close yeah. to getting West Virginia. They actually battled Duke pretty hard. Uh, Baylor's not good, but they're not like bottom, you know, 110 in the nation type type bad. I, right. I don't know if Texas has the offense to be laying over a touchdown against anybody in this conference not named uh, not named Texas or not named Kansas on the road. Yeah, and it's at Baylor too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know what to make about like USC minus three at Arizona State. I Arizona State just went on the road and won. Right. Mm, I don't know there, and and I don't want to touch Washington State at Arizona because at some point, I do think somebody's going to figure out Khalil Tate, but I just yeah. don't know what week that's going to be. That kid at running back is just ridiculous. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I might have to put the NC State at Notre Dame game on my second TV and maybe take NC State. There you go. All right. Uh, I, think we, I think we covered them all. If Oh, if Nebraska loses at Purdue, is Mike Riley fired on, on Monday? Hmm. I don't know if Purdue would be the game to do it. Let me – who else does Nebraska play? Yeah, I mean, maybe. The rest of their games, Northwestern at home, at Minnesota, at Penn State, Iowa at home. They could lose all of those games. Yeah, that would be very bad. Uh, oh, and Kentucky is favored over Tennessee by four and a half. Um, if This won't happen, but if Kentucky were to, say, blow Tennessee out, Butch is gone. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with that. Now it's time for the weekly uh, hot seat talk, and this segment is going to be a lot shorter than normal because uh, some of these coaches are now winning games. Uh, we had wins this weekend, like decent wins at Arizona, Arizona State, Auburn, Rutgers, and UCLA. Yeah, this is interesting now, and we, we've talked in the past about like a lot of jobs opening up. <laughs> Number might be going like way down because some of these coaches look a lot better. So there might be, and obviously, you know, I think the obvious choice is Butch Jones being gone at Tennessee. Um, but some of these coaches that Tennessee wants to go after maybe not, might not be available. Yeah, potentially. exactly right. The flip side of this might be if you're an AD on the fence and you see all these other, other programs are not going to make a move, maybe you think, okay, I can move up in the pecking order of a hiring line and I am going to make a move. So maybe that'll, that'll lead to some unexpected firings. Yeah, that's true. 
but there is a coach who did not do very well over the weekend, and that's Brett Bielema. Arkansas got blown out by Auburn, and now, uh, I mean, Arkansas might really go 4-8. and eight. Worst season for Arkansas since, let's find out. It has to be that uh, that year that Petrino had the motorcycle thing, right? And it had John L. Smith do the the coaching. Yeah. So in O. Twenty thirteen, they they went three and nine. Okay, okay. that was Bielma's first year. Uh, yes. So five and seven in O eight, and four and seven under Houston Nutt in two thousand five. Houston Nutt. There you go. Uh, their remaining schedule is not all that friendly. Like, it's not impossible to see them uh, go four and eight here. They're what are they currently? Two and five. They're at Ole Miss. They're an underdog there. Now they host Coastal Carolina. I, I'm going to give them that one. Uh, so, and then they're at LSU. They host Mississippi State, and they host Missouri. So it's it's possible that they could go like five and seven if they. You know, win, beat Missouri and Coastal, and then they, they win one of either at Mississippi, at LSU, or, or Mississippi State. But I think the best case here is is probably a 5-7 and seven type finish. Yeah. 4-8's not impossible. And, I mean, 5-7, and seven, how much better is that than 4-8? Right, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like there's some stigma to 4-8, and, eight, and, you know, Florida State readers are, are certainly concerned about this at this point, too. Um, especially after all all the crap they gave the Gators over those years for for the four and eight stuff, uh, but yeah, that's not a good not a good year for Brett Bielema. Uh, BYU has not really been talked about us by, by us much because it's it's the first year for Kalani Sitake, and I don't think you're really gonna fire anybody in year one. But Morgan, they they really might go zero and eleven against against FBS teams if they don't beat San Jose State this weekend. I think every remaining game for them on Bill Connolly's list is under 30% win probability. And their well, only win this year is against an FCS team, Portland State. That's that's really bad. Yeah. Talk about, like, worst first year ever for a head coach. Seriously. Uh, oh, the other thing here, Texas Tech is uh, – they're probably going to make a bowl, but I got to tell you – they're 4-3 and three right now. They they dropped a game against West Virginia, which they had a huge lead, and then they come home and they lay an absolute egg against Iowa State. So that's you know, two losses in a row. Um, you know, they, they struggled with Houston, which is not a very good team. They only beat Arizona State by a touchdown. Now they got to go at Oklahoma. they got to host Kansas State. they got to host Baylor. It's probably that, that probably gets them there since they're 4-3. They're that probably gets them ball eligible because getting those two teams at home is nice. But then they got to host TCU and go at Texas. So I, I, making a bowl here is not necessarily guaranteed. Yeah, and I feel like the last couple or maybe even few seasons, like Cliff Kingsbury's like cool guy aura winning right at the start has kind of like died down. But I don't know. I mean, like what's Texas Tech's ceiling? Like winning the Big 12? No, I, I don't think – I mean – the the people who saw the Mike Leach years would tell you yes, but I I don't think so. But maybe they expect to go to what to bowl games more often than they are. I mean, it, right? 
I'm looking at their Texas Tech season list. By the way, if you ever want to look up uh, anything, this is not really for you, it's for readers. I know you already know this. Just type type uh, whatever the school's name is, season list, and Wikipedia almost always has every single season that the school's ever had, and it says who is coaching them in each year, their record, and you can click on the record to see the individual game breakdown in that season. Um, so that's that's kind of a good little tip there if you guys like to do some research. You know, uh, he missed a bowl game last year. He missed a bowl game in 14, and he made one in 15. So if he misses this year, I mean, you're talking three of the last four years, no bowl. Speaking of um, buyouts, his is at 6.9, which is kind of high. It's a little higher than I would expect, you know, or than I expect, because he only makes three and a half. Right. Um, but hey, if you don't pay Mike Leach's money, maybe you got a bunch saved up to, <laughs> yeah. to to pay off Clip. There's this phenomenon in sports, right? It's like, hey, you can be a huge jerk if you can be a really cool guy, you know, wear like designer shades if you win. And it's kind of like an unfair media construct at times, you know. Right. But I was writing about it today, like Bo Pelini. If Bo Pelini didn't act like Bo Pelini. Would he have gotten another year in Nebraska? I, I think almost certainly. You know, because he averaged like 10 and 4 there. That's not that bad. I, I think that like people who crack on, on Cliff for, um, you know, for, for wearing like designer sunglasses or looking like Ryan Gosling or whatever are kind of misguided because there's no indication this guy doesn't work hard. Right. right. Like it's not his fault he's good looking. Yeah. Um, you know, my, it's like one of my, my wife's fa- favorite coach after Ed O. I'm just like, wait, is the Texas Tech coach playing? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but that is kind of unfair to him. Yeah, and I mean, he's at a unique spot in Texas Tech where, you know, it is harder to recruit there than, say, the rest of the Big 12. Oh, for sure. I mean, Lubbock is, is like like the ends of the earth. It, it's it's not easy to get to at all, and it's it's – it, it speaks to, to how good of a job Leach did there, but also like what a unique situation Le- Leach had for a while where he was, for a time, he was kind of the only one in that league truly running that running that version of his offense, you know? I mean, he came from Oklahoma as their OC. They changed a little bit when, when, when he left, and, and he really had it humming, and Indiana had Kevin Wilson, so it was slightly different, but, but like the true like Hal Mummy air raid, Leach was the guy running that in that league, and now a lot of people in that league run that or something similar to it. You know, Kansas started doing it with uh, who was the coach they had? Um, uh, really big guy, uh, Mark Mangino. Okay. You know they they started doing it a lot, like a lot of teams in that league do it now. Yeah. And I think there's some like. You lose sort of the surprise element. Sort of like if, if four or five other teams in the ACC started running Paul Johnson's offense, he probably wouldn't be as good at doing it. Right. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges with that, with running that too, is, and it goes back to recruiting at Texas Tech, is getting your quarterback, which, you know, Cliff was lucky to get Pat Mahomes, who that pretty much panned out, you know, in the NFL draft last year. But um, definitely unique situation for him all right uh what else we got on the list looks like not a whole lot uh good episode and if you guys or girls want to give us a rating on itunes or wherever you decide to listen to us always like it. we need those five-star ratings that helps keep the advertisers happy if we ever actually get them and uh helps you know justify us doing this and 
Morgan, what uh, what else you got going on? Anything? Anything we should look for coming up on, on the site? Uh, I am doing like an explainer type thing on the Minnesota Iowa Trophy, which is like it's basically like a bronze um, pig, but there's like some really cool like backstory to it. So I will read that. I, I like like okay, so a lot of times, and, and you know this. Like one of us will write something, and we already know it because we work in sports, and it, like, mm-hmm. it's for the readers, you know, which should be the audience because if, if we were the only audience, we'd all be broke. <laughs> uh, but there is some like it is fun when somebody like writes something that you enjoy and you didn't know. Like I always like learning stuff from our other writers on staff, so that'll be really cool to check out. Is that is that Floyd of Rossdale, Rosedale, or whatever? Yes. Yep, Rosedale. Very cool. Yeah. I'll and then the other thing that I'm hoping pans out, and then kind of all depends on responses. So if anyone has any, go to my Twitter account and go to the Google survey I've tweeted out. Um, Florida, Georgia, like wildest, most ridiculous stories, memories that you have. Um, have some really funny submissions so far, um, but definitely need like a few more to make it concrete and legitimate. So um, hoping that pans out, but that all depends on the responses I get. Do you have? Uh, mm. I can put have- a link to the survey in on the on the podcast page. Do they have to be work appropriate, and do they have to actually be about the game, or can they be about tailgating? The, the we'll take all tailgating. The only thing is, like, don't confess an actual crime in the survey that we would like have to then be legally and- obligated to report. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's key there. Uh, uh, my buddy has one. I don't know if he wants to tell it or not. Okay. Uh, and you can you can keep names anonymous if 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 that, you think that's necessary. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad idea. All right. Um, as always, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Uh, I think we're on Overcast as well. Any, basically, anywhere you want to hear us. If there's some place that you want to hear us on that we are not on yet, hit us up, and I'll see if our IT department can get us put on there. And until next time.